Hello and welcome to the very first edition of Hidden in Plain Sight. I'm your host, Eric Ryder. Thanks so much for downloading this or streaming this or however you're listening to it. Uh, we appreciate your attention. Uh, this is a new music podcast. And when I say new music, I just mean the podcast is new. The music, not necessarily new because uh, we want to talk to people that have been around for a little while making great music but unfortunately had never had quite the breakthrough that uh, they deserved. You know, some of the uh, most amazing musical artists out there have never had, you know, a top 40 hit, have never had mainstream exposure. And that's what this podcast hopes to. Well, I can't say that we're going to remedy that situation. Uh, but what I want to do is tell the stories of these folks uh, in their own words and find out a little bit more about these artists that I've admired over the years and uh, enjoyed their music very much. And uh, so I hope you're going to stick with us here in the coming months as we bring you some great interviews. And first up on the show today, a good friend of mine, Michael Brandon, and I'll tell you more about him in just a minute. He's not actually a musician. Uh, but uh, he is a good friend of mine, and he is one of the most serious music lovers I've ever met. Um, but I do want to tell you that coming up uh, after this edition, in a couple weeks, we will have Rollo McGinty from The Wooden Tops, an amazing band that uh, were on Rough Trade uh, in the UK, and over here we're on CBS and uh, Upside Records and put out fantastic records. Their uh, debut album, Giant, is a stone-cold classic, and you can play any track from that. Uh, just go to YouTube and put in Wooded Tops, and, and you'll see what I mean. It is a phenomenal record, and the follow-up record to that was also very uh, amazing, and that, of course, is Wooded Foot Tops on the Highway. And they also had uh, some great live releases. We'll get into all of this when we talk to Rollo. I was in London uh, this last year and managed to sit down with him. And we ended up talking for like four hours. So we're, we're probably going to break that interview up into several episodes. But uh, again, that is coming up in the next few weeks here on Hidden in Plain Sight. But before we get to Rollo... And I, I do want to talk about uh, some of the other artists that we hope to have on the show. Uh, Johnny Brown from the Band of Holy Joy. If you don't know the Band of Holy Joy, they were also on Rough Trade in the late 80s, early 90s, and put out some amazing records and are still going strong and still putting out really good music, really thought-provoking and innovative stuff. Uh, he has given me the okay that he went up here on the podcast. And uh, I've also uh, reached out to the band members in A House, and they have also agreed. Uh, a couple of them have agreed to come on the show. So looking forward to talking to them. A Dublin band from the late 80s, early 90s. I, I tend to like a lot of music from that period but of course we're going to be talking to people from all different decades i've got a uh, a classic interview uh that i did with members of the band the sonics of course very active in the 60s and then i uh, got back together in 2008 i want to say and uh, toured quite a bit 
you're going to want to listen to that. That's going to be coming up here on the podcast. So lots of great people. So please do keep checking us out. Okay. Now to the first edition of the show. Uh, Let's talk about Michael Brandon. Michael Brandon used to be named Michael Perlstein. And when he was Michael Perlstein, he was a very successful artist doing cartoons for uh, many different magazines. Doing, he had his uh, a couple of comics, uh, Amy Paputa, Puppy Action. Uh, of course, most well known for being the uh, the creator and showrunner for the animated series Sniz and Fondue. And Sniz and Fondue was part of Kablam! ran on Nickelodeon for years and years and years. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about his artistic stuff, but mainly I just wanted to get together with him as our first interview because we've been good friends for probably 15 years now. And he lives in New York. I live in Tacoma, Washington. And thanks to the Internet, we've been able to maintain a friendship based largely on our mutual love of music. And uh, pretty much every band on the Setanta label is near and dear to our hearts. Um, We love a lot of the indie stuff uh, from the U.K. and Ireland and all over the world, really. Uh, And we just happen to have very similar musical tastes and it's brought us together as friends. And then... We went to the UK to see the band of Holy Joy, who I talked about briefly before, uh, and became friends with a lot of the the folks in that band, and uh, that really solidified our friendship. And uh, we we've hung out together in person several times since. And uh, he's just really a great guy and very knowledgeable about music. He's also a journalist. He's written for the Big Takeover magazine and a few others. But uh, The Big Takeover, doing quite a lot of reviews for them. Okay, so I've babbled enough here. I just wanted to give you some kind of context, some kind of introduction for why on this music podcast, I'm not talking to a musician on the first episode. But I think you're going to find this interview very, very interesting. He's a fun guy. He's got a great sense of humor, uh, Mike. And so we're just going to jump right in. Thanks for listening to Hidden in Plain Sight. All right, so welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight. I'm Eric Ryder, your host, and special guest today, our very first guest on the show, is Mr. Michael Brandon. Michael, how are you? Uh, you know how I am. <laughs> That's I'm right. Work- but- I'm working on it. I think we're going to be great in a few days. That's what I think. Well, good. Well, the listeners out there uh, may wonder who you are. And why you're on a music podcast. And I'm going to just tell them a little bit about you. Uh, that you uh, are a cartoonist. Is that what you mainly consider yourself? I consider myself a humor, a writer. Humor mostly being mm-hmm. the emphasis. Yeah. But you... I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm versatile. I can write just about anything. But I, my, my thing, my bag is writing and drawing and communicating with a combination of the two. Yeah, you're always sketching something, always, always. <laughs> always defacing something. Yes, in, in a very humorous way. Yes. And uh, if people want to check out your work, I know that uh, 
You've had some comics published, of course, very famously. You did the Snooze and Fondue show that was uh, part of Kablam. Kablam on yeah Nickelodeon for years and years, and um, probably still airing somewhere it, it at is. some point it at is. all times. And, uh, of course, you published uh, several comic books, Puppy Action. And Amy, Paputa, Amy Paputa. And they all have stories attached to them, which are interesting because some of them relate directly to music and musicians who yeah. discover them. But, yeah, that was brief because uh, MTV called me after Puppy Action issue one, mm -hmm. so it didn't really get to continue. So throughout my life, those have just been pretty much like... Uh, but this was in the 90s, right? This was talking about. the 90s, the early 90s. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But those they're still available out there for people to check out. Yeah. Yeah. They are. Collectors. But, uh, my, but my name used to be Michael Pearlstein. That's a good point. So if yeah. you, it's tough to search me. You know? Right. Right. But you, I know you do maintain a Facebook page called Puppy Action. Right. So obviously, Puppy Action is stuck with you all this time. I, I, yeah. What I see a lot of your artwork, I see your puppy characters pop up more than just about anything else. I'm trying to, I'm trying to balance them out with with kitten characters too. <laughs> but this is almost like a, um, like a, an alias for you. It's totally. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Well, you know, we've been friends for years, and the way we became friends was our mutual love of music, uh, especially, like, obscure <laughs> bands, like the band of Holy Joy, for instance. And we actually met online, because back in the day, uh, before social media, there was these uh, groups that would... Um, you know, I'm just hoping people can hear the dryer in the background. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just hope that people... Because I just feel the din, room tone, and the dryer. We're washing clothes for England. I just want that to be part of... It just makes it feel authentic to me. Right. I won't cut you off again, sir. No, it's okay. I'm just trying to set the scene for folks. Maybe, but, yeah, uh, but, yeah, there there used to be these email groups um, where you could send an email and it would go to everybody in this group. Uh, Yahoo groups is what they were. And people would have dis discussions of everything. There'd be a group for laundry. There'd be a group for, and like every band you could think of. And, uh, well, not every band, but, you know, if bands with dedicated fans, like the band of Holy Joy, uh, somebody would start this group. And if you had been searching online for years for information about, you know, these obscure bands, then at some point it would pop up and you would go, oh, holy crap, <laughs> somebody else out there knows of this band and you would join that list and then you would get in your inbox every day, like updates from, um, you know, from other people that maybe they knew the group or maybe they were just interested and they're asking anybody else know anything. And so we were part of this group for the band Holy Joy and uh, then in t 2007, I, during that time that we were in this group, the band had long since been defunct. Then they reformed. They put out another album called Love Never Fails, uh, which is a great album. They played a few shows around that time, and then they disappeared once again. And I think, I don't know if, if you did, uh, but I said to myself, holy shit. Why did I miss my opportunity to see them? Why did, you know, why? Because well, they played some shows around Love Never Fails. Right. Yeah. The, the story starts like this, though. Um, when I, the thing but that I was told like you, 98, wasn't it? 
Or maybe. to 2000, 2002? Well, we'll look it up and I'll I patch that in I think it was six later. years of my email, you know, love letters. Yeah, between. I'm just thinking about Love but, Never Fails when that came out. Well, it started with an artist. I, this is so crazy. There was a show called Pop Scene with Jalal out of Berlin. Yep. Which on an early, you know, early internet, tough to get. And I remember being down at my family's home in Florida. Sometimes it would come in, sometimes it wouldn't. Like dial-up shit. And uh, I remember hearing yeah, an artist. You listen online. I was obsessed. Yeah. This guy, that, that's the kind of guy who would play a group like Holy Joy. Right. I mean, he had superb and eclectic tastes. But I remember hearing a band called Yellow first time, First time I heard uh, Jeffrey Lewis was on that show. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw him, and he was great. Yes. Yeah, but, but the point is, I heard an artist named Yellow Six, mm-hmm. and I actually emailed Jalal. John Atwood. Yeah, I emailed Jalal and said, can I please have this artist's email? Mm-hmm. So my, the first UK musician I became friends with was John Atwood. Okay. And, you know, I found out he was a scientist by day and then a one-man army of delay pedals and right. beautiful. I mean, the guy, he's had like 400 releases, and they're all terrific. But the point is, we were email pals. One day he emails me and said, I just did a radio show with a lovely guy on Resonance FM, which mm-hmm. is, you know, London's version of WFMU or, you know, any one of these uh, freeform radio shows. Yeah, it's a, a public radio exactly. station. Exactly. Yeah. But... He said, yeah, and he wrote Johnny Brown. But what got me was there was only one N in the spelling. So when I wrote Atwood back, I said, mm. can you do me one favor? Can you just go, please, and ask this Johnny Brown? Uh, I'm assuming it's a common British name. I don't know if he's the one in the same yeah. Johnny Brown from Band of Holy Joy. Two days later, I get an email back from Atwood saying, it is the same guy. Mm. And I just said, can you please give me his email? Right. Boom. Uh, that's how it started. That's how... You well, know, that's it, how you got connected with Band of Holy Joy. Yes, with Johnny. But before that, talking before that... But that's how I told you. I'm in contact with Johnny and... Yeah, but I, a, I think we were in touch before you were in touch with Johnny. Because we were both... No, in, yeah, no we might as well have been. But when yeah. I, I think it, the revelation was when Johnny told me that we're rehearsing, we may reform. Yeah. I think I passed that info on to you, something. But you were the only one on that list who seemed to genuinely care. Yeah. You, you had a surplus of passion like I, like I did. Well, this was probably like late 2006 when yes. I started making noise again about doing right. something. And then like mid-2007, it actually happened. And then I think we both probably individually said to ourselves, we can't miss it this time. We made time. a pact yeah. on the thing. We said, if they do ever reform, we are going. Right, yeah. And yeah. sure enough. Boom. And so, yeah, we did, 2007. Uh, and it was a great gig. And there's footage of that still online that you oh, can yeah. find. Um, but it was interesting because it was it's in this little place called the 12 bar, which is a total dive, but a legendary dive uh, bar in Soho in London. Everyone cut their teeth there, literally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, tons of amazing musicians have played there over the years. It's a legendary thing. If you if you live in Tacoma like me, you know a place called like Bob's Java Jive, that it's a total dive, but it's a legendary dive, and so many amazing people have played there over the years. This is the same thing in London. 
So, um, so yeah, that's where we met in person for the first time, even though we've been chatting about music. And that's back where you called years. me one strange duck or one strange bird. <laughs> and I don't know why. No one ever gets to me, but that, that got to me. And I was like, okay, because you seem so damn normal and logical. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not saying you hurt my feelings. I'm just saying it stuck with me. <laughs> okay. But yes, I think that was... I don't believe in fate, but that was that was supposed to happen. A lot of things were supposed to happen. That was a hell of a year, 2007 to 2008. And I introduced Johnny to Simon Rivers, and uh, that was a marriage made in heaven. We were lucky enough to um, to be on Johnny's radio show that yeah. first visit there, and that was a great time. And we actually became friends with pretty much everybody in the band Holy Joy, at least the lineup at that point. Oh, yeah. Um, including, you know, uh, people like Alfie Thomas, who had been in the band, various lineups for years. And it's had, you know, various interesting projects uh, on his own outside of band Holy Joy. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But and it's just the, the degrees of separation were like two, meaning... The people I've met through, I did introduce Anthony to Johnny. I mean, it's just Anthony Reynolds. Yes, Anthony Reynolds, and then yeah, from the like, band Jack, who will be on the show, uh, and so I, and stay tuned for that. You know, I, I met Glenn Johnson, Piano Magic through Simon, Vic Goddard. I'm just saying all these wild. It's the odds are good. You're like, oh, do you know Ian Brown from Stone Roses? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. He lives upstairs. It's just so funny. There's this, the connections are just. There seems more of like a collaborative, like it's more imperative. of a music community, yes, it's a in community the UK than it is a competitive kind of race. Here, yeah, maybe it's like, just because everything is so spread out. I, I feel like there's maybe more of a like a. Uh, I don't want to say safety net, but there's definitely a, a more of a system that develops young artists and kind of connects them with everybody else in the UK that their America is like a whole bunch of individuals well, doing their thing individually with help, you know, from a, a label here or there. Well, we but, don't have an arts council to write yeah. to, you know what I'm saying? Sure. To get a little bit of money. like, to, And I'm saying it's like we Ber don't have Berlin would be, I guess, maybe not today, I don't know, but Berlin, when they started funding artists, you'd probably put in the upper echelons and then... England, you know, somewhere in the middle, but the United States does not care about men or artists. We know this. <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> Michael Brandon's opinions are it's just own. opinions. <laughs> but okay, so uh, so that kind of uh, that's how we met. That's how we, you know, became friends and we've been talking music since too you know, much yeah maybe 2004 i think was our first email exchange um and so 15 years later we're still hanging out we're still talking music you live in new york i live in tacoma washington so and it, it will probably we wouldn't be friends without the internet to begin with no. and we definitely wouldn't have maintained a friendship without the internet so that's you know, one good thing, there's lots of drawbacks to the internet, of course, but uh, that's one really good thing. You have a connecting people through, I mean, music, connecting people through, mm -hmm. the, that's that's one of the yeah good things about the digital age. Absolutely. I have mixed feelings about the music blog years. They came and went, but damn, am I more knowledgeable now about 
groups like the band of holy joy that i'm sure, sure most people would, well that's the would thing never heard, i've never heard of i mean that's the thing without like yahoo groups and then later on social media right. i wouldn't have never have known that they got back together right i would have never you know gotten any of their records that existed before the the stuff that i owned or the stuff that they put out subsequently right and we're gonna get more into the band of holy joy when we talk to johnny brown um, that's coming up uh, on the podcast, not on this episode, but on future episodes. So do make sure you subscribe and uh, stay tuned. Because now uh, let's get back to uh, let's get back to you specifically, Mike. And you know, that's... I think, <laughs> well, I, well I, you know, I think it's important to paint a picture for people because they might, you know, they might be curious of who you are and. And you're going to be part of a lot of these interviews, I think. So I hope so. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I and I, I'll, I'll be happy to talk about me at some point too. But um, I wanted you on as the first guy because you nobody's a bigger music lover. Nobody spends more money on music. Nobody we'll is more. We'll edit that out. I'm just kidding. Ha <laughs> ha. No, nobody's more. Literally, that I know. Nobody is more I'm... invested. In it, you I'm know? a death wish junkie when it comes to music. There's no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt. Okay. Yes. I'm just too damn curious. What's, what am I missing? Right. Can you think back? Do you remember what the first record cassette or tape that you ever bought was? I just remember the first record that actually made me stop and go, this is it might be overproduced it might be approaching bathos but it's an opera and it's brilliant it was abc's the, the first two abc records uh lexicon of love and beauty stab yeah and Classics. i just and very different very different but i love them both equally mm-hmm. i had those were the first records, the I actually. You say, Grid Cow. All of it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. yeah. If I ever thought you'd be lonely, yeah, everything. Um, the whole record's great. But it's just, no one cares. Those are dollar bin records. They're common as hell. Um, I just see something so tremendously beautiful in them. And I even loved Fry's Return last two or two years ago with Lexicon Part 2. Yeah. I thought it was just as amazing. Yeah. A little more subtle, but um, everything in between I, I could care less about. But sure, I only they made a, some straight up pop kind of right. watered down electronic music there for a while. But, but I'm with you on those first couple records. Were but I'm actually so I'm actually incorrect. The, Bowie was my transom into real music. Okay, growing up, I remember listening to whatever people had around. You know, like my brother or people my boarding school bullies that I roomed with Pink Floyd ELP you know yes a lot of prog music mm-hmm. Grateful Dead I absorbed it all I liked it but none of it ever you know was transformative it was Bowie I was a kid this is this is my first I didn't buy it but this dentist that was filling my mouth with mercury you know what I'm saying old school metal tooth kind of doctor he had me on so much nitrous oxide, this quack of a dentist. And he was like, I remember him saying, I'm going to put this cassette in. And it was pinups of all things. A Bowie's cover, you know, record. Mm-hmm. Not even his originals. I'll just, I'll never forget this guy, Dr. Scott, saying, have a nice trip, Mike. 
I'm turning this uh, nitrous up high. And, you know, you're wasted. There's an echo on everything that's not really there. You're, you're hallucinating. Yeah. The drill sound is annoying, too. But pinups was the... After listening to pinups for like three days straight, three days of root canals, I remember running out and buying any David Bowie records I could find. Him in the Dress or something, Man Who Sold the World. I remember okay. buying that. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, and that T-shirt's how I met my first girlfriend, Gina. It's just back then, no one cared uh, the way no one did. You were kind of considered a weirdo if you liked David Bowie. <laughs> and that what, what year are we talking? Safe. Oh my! Are you kidding? Oh, I'm like 12 years old, so it must have been uh, woo. 80s, early 80s. If, okay, if I was 15 in 1980. No, it was the seventies. Oh wow! Okay, so but wasn't Bowie at like the height of his powers at that point? He was famous, but he wasn't famous on uh, like you know in Bangladesh and you know what I mean the way he is now. Sure. And yeah, he had a cult following, but still in hub cities like New York, mm -hmm. people would like question your gender, everything. They were like, Bowie's weird. You know what I'm saying? Right. Just people didn't get it and how innovative he was his first 12 13 records but my point is david bowie made it safe for me to start looking for things and back then you had the blind purchase everything okay this leads me right back to band of holy joy bowie's responsible for me discovering band of holy joy way before the digital age you remember going to Tower, buying CDs. They either came in the long box, like my End of Paradise over there. Sure. Or that plastic thing that was impenetrable without scissors. And the booklet would be at the top, CD at the bottom. And whatever you could mm -hmm. see on the back, if the band had a good name, if the font was good, if the description was good, if I saw song cello, titles violin, were cool. song titles were smart, I would blind purchase. This is how my success rate was 90, at least 98%. And that's how I discovered Holy Joy. And it, it actually changed my life, Manic, Magic, Majestic, because it put me into a filthy London. It, can, it absolutely transported me, this singer, to what, where he, he was and what he was singing about started yeah. making sense to me, even though I had no reference points and stuff like that. that, that that's what made me start looking for more authentic music. And yeah, I guess you could call me an Anglophile because if it was British... And it, again, it had good song titles, good... I, I made the leap, bought it, got it yeah. home, cut it open. And this is how I discovered stuff from beautiful pea green boats Sal to Salem Mort Records to, uh, I don't know, weird punk stuff. Uh, even Love's Forever Changes. Like, I, I just... I was like, this looks interesting. And you get it home, you start studying it, and you're like, wow. And I felt so confident that I never... I, once a week, I would just go and buy CDs... And I, I, yeah, I would spend two hours in a Tower Records looking through A to Z the racks, and I'd always leave with about, you know, five, six CDs. And if there was ever a clunker, my bad, because I already knew what I was looking for. So, yeah, that's, that's the truth. But it was at my uh, childhood apartment where I started actually buying a few records that were available during the CD explosion. And it was those ABC records that made me realize, one, I prefer the sound of this, especially on headphones. Yeah. And I had a Fisher-Price system back then. But those were the records that got me into everything. The first Flock of Seagulls record, which most people 
no for Iran, you know? Right. But it's the it's the cuts that no one's heard off that yeah. album that are the deep cuts. And from there, you know, Mesh and Lace, uh, oh my God, great post-punk record. And then 4AD, that's it. Uh, Bleaker Bobs, I'd walk in. My first 4AD purchase was a Clan of Zymox, Medusa. Just love the artwork. From And, and from there, I... I found out who Vaughn Oliver was, 23 Envelope. And it's kind of like... And he did the, the sleeves all for the all sleeves. of the 4AD stuff. That's yeah. why Factory, Crepuscule, four, and, you know, 4AD were just immediately collectible upon, you know, subsequent releases. Right. Because people didn't even care what the band inside was. Sure. They just wanted, you know, they knew it was going to be quality. No, I be, I bought the um, the Pixies. That's right. Uh, Doolittle, just Me based too. on the strength of the sleeve. Uh, perfect I, record. I never heard of, yeah, it is a perfect record, but that was it. You know, cool name, great sleeve, great song titles. And yeah, I was like you. Back then, I was just taking a risk, you know, like if something looked cool. Um, now there were outlets. I don't know. Did were you a fan of 120 Minutes like I was? Yeah, I the, like Matt. The music what, video Matt show. Pinhead, what's his name? Matt, <laughs> Matt Pinfield. Oh, Pinfield. Yeah. I just and there was lots went. of hosts on that I, show. Yeah. Was Tackless on that? Uh, the band Holy Joy um, video. I don't know. I don't think it ever got played. I just wish they went deeper. I was like, this is good stuff, but it's just not obscure enough like it's always the <laughs> well that's that kind of one... why we were taking risks out there right. now i didn't have cable as a kid so that's when i was taking risks buying stuff like the pixies that definitely got uh video play um for people that had cable <laughs> kids like me uh that didn't have cable were you know sometimes stabbing in the dark but there was a cool radio show where i lived that turned me on to a lot of stuff now you grew up in lir yeah? lir was the station that i lived on and that's wlir you know uh 92.7 and later became wdre which was you know a bastardized version of lir but mm -hmm. larry the duck donna donna all these great djs that would steer you towards nightclubs that only played right. the shit you wanted to hear and would play a song like Tackless and played, you know, 4AD, Joy Division, all this British, moody, right. beautiful, and, you know, with lyrical content that actually meant something. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know that, like, uh, I Melt With You is not just a love song. It's Modern about, English, sure. Yeah, it's about nuclear... Cold War paranoia and, you know, being nuked to death while you're having sex. That's exactly it, what it is. Isn't Ultravox Vienna like about that, too? Yes. And there was a lot of like nuclear paranoia yes. in the air uh, back in the 80s, like songs like Missiles uh, from the Sound. Sound. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Another fantastic band that people should Tom definitely said Angels Sound Chameleons. Everyone yeah. had something to say about this stuff. And uh, but that's another thing. Writing for the big takeover, Jack Rabbit. Okay. There's so many people I can hurl the blame at. Yeah, you mentioned this in passing. Let's let's get into that real quick. Now, uh, you have been a contributor to the big takeover for years and years. Which is anybody that loves indie music or post punk or art rock or however you want to describe it. Uh, should know about the big takeover they if really they don't should. already. Yeah, it's a magazine that's been going for like 40, 30, 41 years, 41 now. years. Yeah. And has always covered great stuff, still going strong. Um, and you've done reviews for them 
And uh, when was thousands. when? Yeah, thousands. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, when did you start? I uh, met when, Jack. Yeah. At the first Tell us about Echo that. On the Bunnyman gig, I was too young to attend, but somehow I got in, and that was shit. Seventy nine or eighty, and I just he, at that time he was running around with a one sheet. He was just moving past hardcore, so mm-hmm. championing. You know, he started this club called I think it was A Seven, something like that. Uh, he's in that Godfathers of Hardcore documentary, and they he, he, he describes founding the club. But he moved on from hardcore when Big Takeover actually started getting advertisers, and it became not a single Xerox page that he was handing out at hardcore shows, right. but it became a full-fledged magazine, and he was actually And asking, you met him back in the hardcore days? Yeah, I met wow. Jack. Oh, are you kidding? I met Jack, like I said, when Echo and the Bunnymen were still wearing camouflage, uh-huh. and I just said, you're Jack Rabbit, and he said, I am, and you? I said, I'm the guy who's about to buy you a beer, and that was it. That was history. And I don't want to brag, but the shows that I went to with Jack, Max's Kansas City, CBGB's, Mutt's Club, everything, the stuff I saw, I still can't believe. that mm. I, I didn't know what I was seeing. I was too young to appreciate Johnny Thunder's pre-fame Blondie, you know? Yeah. Gigi Allen. But I just knew that it was interesting. So you got to see all that stuff, like that whole Bowery scene oh, when yeah. it was happening. That's I amazing. I that all to Jack. And yeah. I also owe... Him allowing me to review whatever the hell I wanted, as long as I believed in it. Mm-hmm. You know, there were no limits. Most, I mean, you know, most magazines, you know, they won't go that far. You know what I mean? To the Earth's core. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it, you know, as a magazine, it was really interesting because it came out like twice a year. Uh, and, and, it, and it was yeah. very thick. Yeah, it was like, it was like a, a telephone book, a music Bible. <laughs> essentially. It was so thick. I even have yeah. copies here. You can see like the attenuation over time. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Most of it reviews. Yeah. Yeah. And and, I, yeah. and as you said, it did start off as a hardcore one sheet, but obviously Jack's uh, musical interest. Millions, I think, changed his life. Yeah. And then post punk became his shoegaze and post punk. Yeah, like bands like Catherine Wheel. Yeah, I I know where Jacks. So, yeah. So what year did you start contributing? Uh, well, as a writer, I, I only started contributing uh, late. Like, um, I because I, I you know I actually had a career, well before I even went to college, I yeah. had an art career, public mm-hmm. publishing. But I started writing for him when he asked me to. Basically, he saw samples of my writing and he was like, hey. I like that everything comes from the gut with you. It's not, doesn't always have to be super cerebral. Yeah. But so, yeah, I, I, it's, I don't remember what year, but I've been writing for the mag for at least 20 years. That much I know. And I'm going to get back into it. This was a tough few months for me. So I, I opted out of this past issue. But um, I am amazed when I look at the back issues, just how much content and that I submitted and just how many big bands we re- interviewed together. Jack yeah. would ask me to sit in like on a suede interview mm-hmm. and I was, you know, I'd always come from left field with a question that either, either pissed someone off or they were just like, why would you ask that? And I would say, because it pertains to the music. Right. And Jack would always back me up saying, no, I think Michael's question is good. <laughs> But Jack would Jack would always have me ask if I wanted to sit in and co, co you know cooperate right. participate, 
and you all you need to do well, now is I gotta go this guy's name, I gotta right? go back and reread some of those interviews because I'm wondering if you're asking about Matt Bernard Os- Butler is a good Matt one. Osmond's uh, bowel movements or something well, that- ask Bernard Butler <laughs> what was it like having now that you're a father uh-huh. how has that changed your the direction you look at your career and music right and he just froze and said that is that is not an appropriate question to ask in a music interview hmm. and Jack looked at me puzzled looked at Bernard and I think he said I think it's an okay question sure <laughs> but if you don't want to answer it you don't have yeah to. which is probably something that his, maybe his stock response when he was caught off guard by a question or something he hadn't thought about really yeah and ironically you know Bernard Butler is doing a music podcast now himself so now he's uh, he's got the other side of the stick you know He's asking probably questions of people that they're going, uh, <laughs> I do. I love where I live so much, but I do got to admit that, uh, you know, as far as being a music fan, especially, uh, a fan of bands from other countries, New York is one of the top places to be because a band will come and play shows here, but they, even if they won't tour the rest of the country, um, and L.A. is like that, too, to a lesser extent, but definitely New York because it's a close, it's a short flight. Well, we it, know that personally yeah. is truth, too. Yeah, We've absolutely. We've experienced it a couple times. Now. Well, just this week, we were lucky enough uh, to see Anthony Reynolds uh, from the band Jack, who we both love, play his first and only show, I believe, in America I um, mean, he yeah. played the uh, Rough Trade in Brooklyn here, and you were largely responsible for making that happen. And I'm grateful to you because, uh, you know, I'd been longing to see him for years and years and years, ever since I first discovered that first Jack record, um, Pioneer Soundtracks, which is an absolute classic. If you haven't heard it, pause this, go <laughs> go look it up because it really is a great record. Um and uh, and so, yeah, here he just played his first show ever in the United States, which seems crazy to me since he's had this great long career, uh, you know, starting in the 90s and still going strong, just put out a fantastic record. Um, and we'll talk to him about that uh, on the show in the coming months. Um, but uh, this album, uh, Painter's Life, is, I think, up there with some of his best work. Absolutely. But yeah. To be on Crepuscule, uh, Too Pure, Rocket Girl. I mean, the list of unbelievably iconic labels that this man has been on. Right. I, I, I'm assuming... An American assuming in this country. The best audience. Rick Rubin. For, yes. Label. That's right. Yeah. That's, and and yet he just played his first American show, you know, what, 25 years or so after that uh, Pioneer soundtrack luck, came it's out. It's just improper promotion, Eric. That's it. There's so much. You need an endless surplus of passion. If you have that, then you have a shot yeah. at promoting an artist. But I just feel. Well, that's a lot of that. I mean, you, you just put in in a chestnut of what this. Uh, this podcast is all about is trying to give some attention to some of these people that through no fault of their own have kind of slipped through the cracks of the public consciousness, even though they deserve it. So as far as talent goes, yeah. I'm not going to get into people's, you know, moral uh, no, 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 <laughs> stakes no. or whatever, but they deserve it just based just on, on a, talent, just on a, on a talent poet, level, on a verse level. These are yeah. poets 
These are the Rambos, the Keats, yeah. Tennyson's, Melville, the poetry, Melville's. These are these are the Dylan Thomases of our day, man. Sure. Like, name name your favorite poet. They're as good. And that's why I'm so tired of reading the ubiquitous reviews that all, you know, concur. Why the hell are these unsung poets? Why are right. they unsung? And that's to me extremely frustrating. And I also think we are in a niche realm meaning like what's auto-tune to me that's satan's farts it's the worst thing <laughs> i've ever heard no i mean these guys do luddite production they don't mess with pro you know what i mean any of these you know what i'm saying well it's real yeah they play instruments they right right yeah no help they're probably recording i mean most people are recording digitally now um, regardless, because it, it's made it way more affordable. So right, but, artists like uh, Anthony, without a huge budget, can still make a fantastic record thanks to digital. But you're right. Matt, He's yeah. not in there uh, dumping a bunch of samples Matt into Johnson, a sequencer, you know. Blah, blah. He's, he's still Luddite. He's, he's still Luddite, his production. Sure. He's just, it's anathema to him, screen life. But I'm saying yes. I'm just, all I'm saying is anyone can make a record, correct? Almost. You want a guitar sound? You want this sound? You can pull it up. If you if you're determined enough, you can fake it. Yeah, there's tons of like plugins and stuff that you can and use with most your most people who are listening to compressed files anyway for the majority of their life. They're not going to hear the the difference. Most people, and I just think the stuff we like could it be niche, or is it could it be mainstream? We definitely like British, Irish, the same thing. But you know what I mean. We like a no, certain type no. of not the same thing. No, but meaning... Okay, but I don't we, want any Irish no, 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 no. people But what I'm saying this, is there's a, there's a common... Getting upset. ...analogy yes. with the post-punk. Absolutely, ...that comes yeah. from... Right. ...that's not American, is what yeah. I'm getting at. Yeah. There's a certain... I don't know what it is. Attitude, political, you know, uh, rage, uh, caste system, rage that I don't think American music provides. I think, the, would I be wrong in saying the bulk of the shit we listen to is definitely? Yeah, no, the, the I'd say the bulk of stuff that the two of us listen to is, gotta, is Irish, uh, English, Scottish, whatever. Welsh, Scottish, Welsh. yeah, yeah. Definitely British Isles. I mean, I love some stuff from you know other parts of Europe. I love some American bands, absolutely. But uh, yeah, the bulk of it, um, I mean, even I think, the whole tw yeah. Sarah Records, C86, it's all... Sure. Yeah. What do we have over here? Matinee? That was our version <laughs> of Sarah? You know what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just... Oh, I'm, what I'm getting at is, I know they're out there. The people who know about a band like Whipping Boy. I know they're out there. Right. I know there's Chameleons fans out yep. there. And if you like Chameleons, you're going to like the other bands that we like. That's the, what I think. And it's it, it not not that there's any, they're all unique, but there's something that bonds the, that binds them, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but you know we, you know what is it the wooden tops, the wolfhounds, the uh, dentists. There is something mm -hmm. there that's common, whether it's just gorgeous hooks, interesting lyrics, but right. it's the whole package. Yeah. A House, they have the whole package. Who's mm -hmm. heard of Dave Kaus in A House? Well, you know, if you're in Dublin, you you may well have, but outside of Dublin, it you know, aside from Endless Art, which I think was a a big song in the UK, 
unfortunately didn't get the attention uh, that they deserved over here by any stretch, you know. But you've been lucky enough to see a house uh, several times when they were still together. Uh, this would have been maybe late eighties, early nineties. Definitely, or, uh, I saw them at least at least twelve times. Yeah, they had a residency at a small club, Chenet, where Jeff Buckley played a famous gig. Nice. Yeah. And I've I've never seen them, so you know, uh, just a little insider goss here. We're both traveling together. By the time you hear this, this will have passed. But we're traveling to Dublin. I'm here. This he'll be he'll be all right. (laughs) Yeah, we're traveling (laughs) to Dublin next week, uh, specifically to see Dave Kaus and Fergal Bunbury from the band A House. Uh, get back together and play their most famous record, which is I Am the Greatest, which lives up to its name for sure. Well, speaking of Irish uh, bands, you know, I think we both agree that our favorite label of all time, and there's been a ton of brilliant indie labels, whether it be Rough Trade, whether it be, you know, Mute, whether it be 4AD, whether it be... Factory, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Factory. I, I personally, my favorite of all time is Setanta. Um, Mine too. Yeah, and no I no contest. I feel like they had like such a run, just impeccable taste. Um, of just every record that they put out is up there as a classic, and and folks in this country or in the United States may not know, but they were responsible for launching the careers of people like the Divine Comedy, Richard Hawley. Uh, Edwin Collins. Edwin Collins was the music producer, the in-house producer. So he, in fact, produced A House's "I Am the Greatest," um, as well as putting out his, you know, seminal solo stuff like "Gorgeous George" that had that massive hit, uh, you know, "Girl Like You." Um, and so, I wonder how many people know about Orange Juice in his early incarnation. Yeah, what? that which wasn't on Satanta, but they no, did postcard. they. The, yeah, postcard, another great label. Yeah. So we could talk about labels all day long. We could talk about all these artists all day long. But I'm for this episode, I do want to learn more about you. I want to hear some of your favorite stories. Like, let's yeah. tell me about maybe your favorite gig or your most memorable. Well, well, here's gig. a memorable gig for me. Yeah. Um, I love uh, Pete. We'll just shorten it. It's Piotr Fijalkowski is his actual name. Polish, British, you know, Polish guy living in Britain. Uh, songwriter. He had a band called Adorable on Creation, I think. Sure. And, um, two, two shoegaze. Uh, I hate to adjacent? call it shoegaze, but it is. Like, a lot of screaming and passionate vocals. All right. So it was punky shoegaze. It's like... I just remember them being around at the same time as bands like Catherine Wheel. Absolutely. Kitchen's yeah. a distinction. And, and the thing is... Slow dive. They're at, slow dive. All of them can be uttered in the same breath. They're all the same caliber, top-notch. Moose. Oh, my God. Moose is the band responsible for the term shoegaze, actually. And um, did you know that? I did not. Russell is staring at his pedals, and this journalist is like... Dude, just gazing at his trainers. This is what is this? Shoegaze? <laughs> That's how it happened. Russell That's Yates, great. aka Moose, yeah. is looking at all his pedals. Uh, yeah. And Highball Me is the, one of the greatest records I've heard in my life, as far as upbeat shoegaze records goes. And here, the, the, the gig 
that I remember surprising me the most was an adorable gig at the Academy. Uh, no longer, you know, another defunct venue. If you listen to the... To, Here in New York. Yeah, yep. in Manhattan. If you listen to um, both um, adorable albums, the first one is called Against Perfection. The second one is called Fake. Yes, he's raging, screaming on a lot of the songs, but it's very controlled, and he never... Like, the production is so that his voice is just buoyed by these awesome guitar histrionics. Mm -hmm. But you would never take it as hardcore, because it's mellifluous shoegaze. Melodic. So melodic. Mm -hmm. Like, if you just look up adorable song Submarine, you will, you will understand everything. But when I saw them live, I was not ready to see the band not only moshing on stage and turning every version of their songs into a mutation, like a literally a punk mutation mm -hmm. of just screaming, elbows and faces. Like one of the guys was bleeding, the bass player. I'll never forget it. Uh, Pete falls in the riser, starts punching on the drummer. I'm like, is this? Jeez. I was like, what the? Is this a brawler again? No, he just started. <laughs> and then at the end of the gig, he launched his guitar into the audience. I remember he had blood running down his nose, and I'm like, wait, what? What? <laughs> I'm like, what did I just see? This gorgeous band is that different live? And I caught the guitar. It almost hit me. It almost killed me, this heavy guitar. And all I remember is uh, this guy who I used to be briefly friends with from Secret Crush Records pulling on it desperately. I mean, clearly it was mine. I got it. But then this girl started grabbing it, and she started bawling. And she's like, I need this, I need this. And I just looked at her and I told, why am I blanking? Greg, I said, let it go. And I looked at the girl and I said, it's yours. It's just an object, but please do enjoy the object. And that's it. I left the gig and I'm like, what did I just see? And sadly, I only saw Adorable that one time, but they're nothing like the, the way they are on record and the way they're alive, two different bands. Yeah. And another gig I remember really changing my life was the very first Kitchens of Distinction show. Um, where did they play? Uh, damn, it was another venue. That's Do you remember what album was out at the time? It, well, yes. Um, the first two. Which okay, were so they, they were probably promoting Strange Free World at that well, point. Well, he played most of Love is Hell. I just remember Julian Swales at... Guitar player. On the edge yep. of the front of the stage. And I turned to my buddy Doug and I'm like, why does it sound like there's six guitarists here? This is a, f a freaking orchestra. Of this is. Yeah. I've never heard anything like it. No other band has done that. No other band has done that. And, you know, when I spoke with Julian, he was just telling me how much they stopped, they stopped playing because of his stage fright. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Because he he owned that he owned that stage. An amazing guitar player, and as you said, very innovative. And you know, it, it's still shocking to me that someone that good and that important to you know what what some people will call dream pop, some people will call shoegaze, some people would just uh, you know include it in the lineage of post punk. Um, somebody that good is just criminally ignored just like not mentioned in the same breath as people like, you know, my bloody Valentine where he definitely should be as far as I'm concerned. I agree. Yeah. And Patrick Fitzgerald. 
Yeah, the singer from, from Kitchen the Distinction. Not yeah, legend Patrick with one, you know, no C in his name. They're all this. He is the sweetest. Again, Simon sings and on still the putting out Stephen music. Hero, yeah. right? Stephen Hero, just such a great guy. He's got many personal struggles, but he's just he's just too beautiful a guy. But if if you were going to ask me which gigs I remember actually affected me the most. Mm-hmm. I can quickly just tell you the four gigs I've ever sobbed at. One, Holy Joy in 2007. It was a brilliant And we were gig. so tight-knit. Yeah. There's no way Johnny didn't see me like sobbing like a little bitch. Yeah. Two, uh, at... at uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. At um, Bowery Ballroom, uh, Trash Can Sinatra's, the very powerful live version of weightlifting mm. that they absolute encore maybe the band i've seen most i absolutely adore them but but he sings something frank sings something at the end on the live version that's not on the recorded version and i'm dying to know what it is hopefully we'll get the chance to ask him spearmint on simon river's recommendation i went to see them didn't know any of their music i'm standing there like with tears running down my face that's how beautiful they were Mm -hmm. and then chris stay me close to making me cry at rough trade but the band that made me run to the men's room the most times to wash my face was the the recently and i was very i was upset with myself being as old as i am i mean <laughs> look as this old but i i i i'm like get it together man what are you a little sissy no no he means it and he's if, if you know anything about this artist he came back after 18 years and he's you know lost his entire family mm-hmm. you know he's lost two or three brothers everybody mm-hmm. and um i don't know to me he's he's i don't know he might be the greatest songwriter alive i don't know i don't hmm. like making you know superlatives well that's all i do isn't it <laughs> this is the best no i love I, this. this you is know the I, i'm not as big of the 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 fan as you are but I know that feeling so well where you feel like this is the best thing ever. Why is this not, you know, completely embraced by the rest of the world? Um, and for me, it's like almost, you know, you, you feel that way, but there's also still just a little bit of relief that they're not <laughs> because when somebody becomes mega, when they're playing arenas, when they're on the radio, it, it loses some of the magic, doesn't it? Like, Yeah, but Beacon Theater, look, in London, he can sell out. Sure. You know, I'm not talking about the the specifically. I'm talking about just like, you know, loving obscure bands. Sometimes it's a pain in the ass because you don't get to see these people live as much as I you want to. Sometimes, sometimes you have to travel to, you know, see them like we are doing. But at the same time, you know, at a show, have you ever been to a show at like Madison Square Garden or something? Well, here's, the, here's it in a nutshell. As soon as you become or hit a certain level mm-hmm. of whatever you want to call it, notoriety, fame, right? As soon as you increase your fan base to the point where you're playing to more than 3,000 people, I guess, you automatically have that electronic dog collar around you. It's like, this is what I believe. True artists are allowed to swing their genius stick if they're unsung because they have no limitations on them yeah. whatsoever yeah this is why cows this is why mark cullen from pony club can just go batch it like you think the labels would really if he were on a major 
would want him singing about such dire stuff. No, they say, <laughs> no. please throw a sunny song in there. So, right. No. They're yeah. doing what they believe in. And that's why it is better. It's not us being selfish. We, yeah. Of course we want them to succeed. But we don't want them to succeed too much because then they're going to get leashed. Yeah. You know, and I think probably you and I both feel like, hey, if they can become that successful without sacrificing the artistic vision, then fantastic. More power to them. I'm just saying that, you know, for us as fans, it definitely feels maybe a little more special when you get to see somebody in a small sweaty yeah, club like, like we did with the band Holy Joy and 12 Bar. It's, uh, a, it's, a, it's like ownership. Yeah. We're, we're human. We're only human. Of course, right. we want something that's just for us. Yeah. And it's just like kids, you know, have been trained with social media. Ego, you know. I want this to speak to me. This should be just for me. Like, that's what this whole like system and tallying, you know, information is about. Just how far does it go? You know, people's egos, people's desire to be liked and wanted and paid attention to. And we already know the horrible answers to these questions. It's just, <laughs> we don't need any more of these screens to help us jump backwards into the primordial goo. You know, we want to we right. really do want to move forward. Yeah. Vote in 2020. Get Trump <laughs> out of there. As long as we're on a, a, a tangent. Um, you know what? I, I think is interesting how so many artists that we like seem to be able to come back now and make some of their best work where it seems like I don't know about you, but it seems like when I was growing up older artists would often come back with like their weakest, most middling material. That's so true. It's like they ran out of inspiration, but like a lot of the people that we love are doing some of their greatest work so, now. So true. I feel like that last trash can Sinatra's album was yeah. so good. The, the last uh, Wolfhounds took like a 25 year break and came back with two of the best records they ever made. The aforementioned Anthony Reynolds from Jack, his latest solo album. So good. And uh, Alan Wilkes, probably yeah. no one's heard of him. He records as Vinnie peculiar. His new album with a brilliant title, While there, While You Still Have Time, or While There's Still Time. Mm -hmm. It is, I, if, if you're a Martin Newell fan, you know, on his right. earlier bands, Straight Trolleys, Brotherhood of Lizards, whatever, this is the guy you need to listen to. This is like, he's been, he's been putting out records for what, 30 years? It kills me to think that some of these guys, and oh, they will. If they're not discovered during their lifetimes, mm -hmm. it will be posthumous. Yeah, yeah. The Apartments, another another group. I mean, I, and he's from Brisbane. They love him in France. But Peter right. Walsh isn't, you know, to me, he is the best living poet, bar none. So. And, and, and back to what we were saying before about the, you know, the, the benefits of a, a band being obscured. There are definitely a really huge downside in that many of these people can't make a living doing their music. Um, and so there's huge gaps between the catalog sometime, which, you know, as a fan is, uh, kills me. Like we, we did talk about briefly about pony club, but that uh, maybe my favorite band. Um, and you know, he, there's big gaps between his records and he's had one on the, you know, ready to release for a long time. Now it's been over a year since it was announced, but it still has not come out. 
And I got to believe that's got to partially be due to, you know, not having the record label financing that he deserves, you know. Hopefully we'll talk to him yeah, and get the inside uh, scoop on that. I didn't know this. I mean, I didn't know he had an album ready to go. I want to hear it. I mean, so do I. Yeah. 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 And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to him and we'll get the inside scoop. And, um, you know, we'll be able to help expose him to the world. You've got one of the biggest record collections I've ever seen. Honestly, but how about the guys that have to go up the whole wall? This is only yeah, no, I, I know. But you also have boxes lots and of boxes. boxes and boxes of CDs and stuff. And you're you're one of these uh, guys that definitely believes that vinyl is far superior to any other medium. If you, I once I heard my friends set up in his apartment. He has a whole floor devoted to it, and on the headphones. I don't want to say how much it costs. It's just, I would never pay for, you know what I'm saying? You can get an audiophile set up for under 10 grand. That's yeah. amazing. That's still a lot of money, 10 grand. Whereas, whereas I'm I'm just way less of a audiophile, but still just a music lover. I'm just as happy to play like my favorite album over the Bluetooth speaker that I have in my shower as I am to actually take out a, a record and put it on my system and play it through that. Granted, that sounds better to me, but it's still the the convenience rules. You well, know? convenience matters a yeah. lot, and yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, we were playing that stuff off my iPod because that's the only... Right. way I found the files but the point is if you want to sit and you want to take the time and play a record and be in the moment mm-hmm. and you're playing it on let's say some clip speakers a VPI turntable and an old Morant's workhouse receiver you know what I'm saying something like that you are guaranteed to hear things that you will not hear you know yeah. listening to iTunes you will and I can't sometimes explain it. it better, sometimes not. I, I had to prove my brother-in-law wrong when he said, show me that, you know, even on this mm-hmm. beginner's setup, he said, prove to me what I'm missing on an MP3. So first we listened to the MP3, and then I made him listen to it on headphones, then I played the same song off of, you know, 45 here, and put the headphones in, and he said, you're correct. I can hear all sorts of shit that I'm not hearing. So yes, mm-hmm. compressed music is just that. But it doesn't mean it's a terrible thing. The iPod was a brilliant invention, you know? Yep. Yeah, convenience matters. You're bored shitless on a 10-hour flight. You better be <laughs> thankful you got files. Right. But I'm saying if you can, and no, I don't believe in doing this every day of my life because that's a time suck. I, yes, I do have too many records, and I always use the excuse I'm supporting the industry. If I don't buy from these small stores, they're going to shut down. It's a way to trick yourself into being a conspicuous consumer. <laughs> All right, so now you've been lucky enough to meet a lot of the artists that you love, whether it be through riding through Big Takeover in May or just reaching out directly to uh, artists that you like or um it, you know we have been lucky enough to travel and meet folks um and then you know as we talked about before they're all connected so got any fun stories that are safe for public consumption oh i won't um, talk anything that involves illicit uh 
you know, chemicals <laughs> yeah, and yeah. sexual things. No, hell no. No, That's but not nobody's. Okay, uh, l- let me rephrase the question. So, anybody that you met that you had this idea in your head of how they would be because you loved their music for a long time, or you just heard their music for a long time and you had like an idea, a picture about who they were, and then you met them and you're like, oh wow, this this person is. Totally different, polar opposite. Well, even. Well, I'm not going to mention names, but a few of my ex idols. One in particular did something so embarrassing on our first mandate in quotes <laughs> that I said to him, "Bro, the honeymoon is so over." And he's like, "Oh, you, you, really? I didn't even get ten hours." I'm like, "No, no, no. Now you're been relegated back to human being." And we, 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 we're going to laugh about this forever. It was a crazy hotel story night, uh, mistaken identity thing. But, like, I hugged one of my favorite poets, and he knew I was coming to see him. And he was like, stiff like a two-by-four. And I said, we've been email pals for almost six, seven years. This is New York. I'm coming to you, like, on a meteor from New York. This is heavy New York. This is how we do it. And it wasn't until, there were many like that. It wasn't until you catapult the stone wall that is, there, there is this stiff upper lip, but it's, it's, I really believe it's brought on by this whole bullshit British caste system, you know, where you're from, your accent kind of shit. They don't know that we don't care about that, you know? Mm. It's up to us to learn about it, but it's true. If you watch uh, Alan Partridge, XTC, This Is Pop, the documentary, he said, because we came from Swindon, we were always branded as idiots and clowns. Mm. And to you or I, that makes no sense, you know? Sure. I don't judge you because you're not a New Yorker, or I wouldn't judge someone because they come from Alabama, unless, you know, they voted for Trump. But, no, no, saying, no, no, no. But no, no, but there is plenty of that in this country, for sure. You know, there's plenty of, like, making snap judgments about people from different regions. But it, it, it seems so weird for the UK because it, you know, it, it almost seems more homogenous. Um, but they really do have, like, different regions and way different cultures in yes. each region just like we do in, in the united states but the, it's it's very strong there it's like you know you experience the north geordie hospitality that's not a myth you're you're welcome there yeah. you know it's like a factory town and a mutual friend of ours is way respected there because he broke out from that mm-hmm. and even though he may have just skirted success yeah at you know one point on the cover of the magazines and all that they don't care they just say, hey, you did it. You lived the dream. I was right there when they were all, because I went to a funeral with him. And all his mates who still work in these mills, they were saying, you did it. You mm-hmm. actually had the courage to get out of here and fulfill your dream. Yeah. And, you know, he's super humble about it. But they're right. Like, you know, so many things trap people in these, what's the word I'm looking for? Roles in these gender, I mean, uh, yeah, these these. They're, they're like cast into these, this is your lot in life because you're a scouser or this is your lot in life because you're from Cambridge, which which is, that's actually a good thing. There, there <laughs> definitely seems to be like this, um, this really like thick line drawn between artists that went to art school 
or if they're just straight up working class. Like that, I mean, that, the most extreme example of that was the Oasis blur rivalry of the Britpop days. You know, there was all this like casting Oasis as heroes because they were working class and supposedly working class and casting blur as villains uh, because they were, you know, a middle class, and they went to it's just easy art, propaganda art mechanism. school. Yeah, it's it's just a, it's a hook to sell magazines. Of course, back then, people still bought magazines, um, but uh, yeah, and it's lazy journalism. But I mean, there is some truth to that. Okay, having said what I just said, the real truth, the real truth is, I think I lucked out like crazy. I'm thinking of someone like Andy Assel right now, who's just such a beautiful soul. And that's A S T L E. Just an amazing, amazing musician. Because it, it sounds like right. something else. Well, he was composer for for Holy Joy for a long time, and his two solo records. Well, he was the guitarist, and he composed yeah. a, a lot of the. You know. Yeah. I'm just saying, and you know, like people like Steve Hands drummed with Peter Parrott. He filled mm-hmm. in for the only ones. I'm just saying they're all there's all these connections and I got lucky, honestly, as an artist and knowing people like my crazy friend Paul, the sculptor who worked with Giger, everyone's different. If real artists who are lost in their own reveries, you have to cut them a break because they're all going to be unique and they're all going to be a bit odd in their own yeah. way. But I think I got lucky. I really believe the people that I actively sought out to meet. I just think it's coincidence. There's no assholes in the lot. These are right. real people. You know? Yeah. So so I think I got lucky. If I keep pushing my luck, I I, I don't know, maybe I will meet a total prick. <laughs> I mean, I, I did get dissed by other musicians that I looked up to but did not sure. want to know personally. Right. The ones I was introduced to. Some of them totally just wouldn't even shake my hand because I was American. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know what? Johnny Brown, we talked a lot about Band of Holy Joy here, uh, has one of my favorite lines from one of the songs on, I believe, Positively Spooked. Uh, you know how your heroes always turn out to be wrong? And I think of that uh, sometimes when you hear about, you know, people that you idolize, you know, saying just the most horrific stuff. And you've been like a fan for a long, long time. And then suddenly they come out of the closet as crazy or maybe they just turned crazy over the last few years. I'm not going to name names, of course, but I think probably people can speculate on who those people are. Um, but yeah, it. I always think of that line. <laughs> Here's the real question. And I know it's hackneyed and I know it's an old aphorism. You must be able to, but can you? separate the art from the artist especially after you know the person and have had Mm. really close when I say intimate I'm not talking you know sex but close relationships with them can you after that I think if someone behaves a certain way you feel betrayed you know I feel once it becomes a friendship but if it's just you're meeting someone first of all you should never idolize we're all talented. Right. Even if we don't know what our hidden talents are, we're all connected. And I don't think anyone should be genuflected. No one's altar should be knelt at. It's a terrible thing because no one... Talent means nothing to me, Eric. It's how you treat other people. That impresses me. That'll make me idolize you. 
in a way. Again, for no reason should you idolize anybody. <laughs> no, I, 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 I agree with that. Just you be happy they're around. Idolize the artwork. Drop this cool art, shit think, on us. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And that is, you know, that's a huge ongoing debate uh, whether you can separate the art from the artist, and and I, you know, it's so. It's one that I haven't, you know, come to terms with a hundred percent yet either. And maybe I'll do in, in doing this podcast, I'll come closer to maybe figuring that out. I think that's something everybody has to answer for themselves. And I don't think I can judge anybody on, let's say for instance, if you've been a Morrissey fan your whole life, whether you still love that music. I mean, I do. Uh, um, despite his, you know, most recent kind of very outlandish stuff, I personally think, you know, there might be something medical going on there. But that again, that's entirely speculation. Yeah. But I think I'm still allowed to love his music that he put out at least before. <laughs> I think you got to draw the line at Michael Jackson personally. Oh I, yeah, I get offended when I see his merchandise in record stores or T-shirts. I just feel like. All right, now I'm turning into Ray Bradbury. It's in the past. Maybe we yeah. should look at it as historic documents. But sure. I'm seeing a glut of Michael Jackson merchandise. Yeah, it's almost like they And I know that dude yeah. was guilty. I know. Oh, sure. Believe me, I know. Well, I mean, there's plenty of evidence to suggest uh, that he was a, a pedophile. They, they all they all have the same shtick. And those guys summed it up. And they wouldn't... could. Who would want to make that stuff up in a documentary? Their right. lives are already ruined because of it. Right. But it, all I'm saying is... Very, very credible That would kill me. Accusations. If yeah. someone that I loved as an artist... Oh, I yeah. Knew they, they had See, a skeleton as dirty as that. To, that would mess me up. To me, it that's a, that's a whole different level, almost, than somebody that says some outrageous stuff no, um, versus somebody that did some really horrific stuff you know i mean i i don't care if charles manson's songs were fantastic they weren't they weren't, uh, they weren't. <laughs> but let's say they were i would never be able to go like oh yeah no. this is great because the, no. you know, the guy was a murderer you must turn your back on yeah. that shit yeah look i don't believe in banning crumbs artwork his fantasy work from like you know he was hiding in plain sight i just pulled an album cover <laughs> thanks of for the shout out Crumb did of a guy's erection right into a girl's buttocks waiting for a bus. I'm not sure I want this association with um, that I'm saying title, this but... could never fly today. Right. But they're trying to ban Crumb's art, the Me Too movement, and they're trying to remove um, Balthus from the Met. Balthus was clearly a perv, but we're talking about a French Impressionist from, my God. Yeah. 17, late 1700s, early. And can you judge someone from that era by today's standards? I just think now we're moving into Ray Bradbury territory. Orwell arrived, Huxley arrived long ago, but like if Ray Bradbury's prophecies come true, then we're really in trouble. So here's the thing, you know, yes, you must separate the art from the artist. Unless this artist has become a close friend or ally of yours, then it's up to you to make sure that they don't do horrible things, that they behave themselves. <laughs> and right. you know, all artists must be on a leash. That yeah. I believe in. Okay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I think we've probably said enough about that at this point. But um, let's get back to you because this episode's supposed to be about you. Okay. <laughs> Let me keep it terse. Hit me up. Yeah. Now, riddle me this. Now, you know, uh, both we've talked a lot about classic bands that we love. Do you keep up with newer music at all? Um, my friends at especially Rough Trade, Brooklyn, keep me updated if something's fantastic and they're like, you must know. Like this uh, Deirdre and the something, these mm-hmm. doo-wop girls doing 60s post-punk, like a fusion. They were great. I saw them live. Um, yeah. The truth is, if they tell me there's not much great contemporary stuff, I'm going to believe them because mm. they have to listen to everything that comes in the store to know if it's going to be an album of the month or in their top, you know, 50. Yeah. So yeah, I have a good, um, I have, I'm connected that way, mm-hmm. but I will never just buy a record that I've never heard of, like, like in the old days, Yeah, I like, like the cover. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Now you can always research uh, what a record sounds like before you drop that, you know, and, and when it comes to buying vinyl now, you know, like, it's like 25 bucks a copy. Whereas when we were buying stuff, you know, we were getting stuff for 10 bucks. Well, I remember a lot of, a lot of the stuff that we liked, we were getting out of cutout bins for like a dollar. Every time I saw jeans drawn to the deep end for a dollar on CD, I bought it. My attitude was <laughs> I'm rescuing this. Okay. I must have like 30 copies of that CD. A great album. Oh my God. Yeah. But the thing is, yeah, like, um, I just I do remember an Oasis CD going for something like 35 40 bucks in a tower it just said import and I'm thinking go away yeah 30 bucks for a CD 35 bucks right. it's just... and now people are dropping that on the regular for a, co- a vinyl uh, well that's tough that's the stuff. price LPs yeah. start at for shit's sake yeah but you know um, when you look at the world Eric and when you look at how many bands we think are phenomenal a, I think it's not that hard to make good shit because there's just so many people capable of it. And two, I think... But how come so many people make so much bad music, though? It is hard. Because that's always going to be the way. There's always going to be shittier books than brilliant books. There's always going to be terrible movies churned out than good yeah. movies. And there's always going to be selfish, bad people right. that outnumber, way outnumber... Sorry, people like you and I who actually would sure. help the dog with the broken leg in the street. Okay, so getting back to new music, um, anybody that you like right now that is newer coming up or even just still like playing on the regular, or, you know? Yeah, like whatever they dropped made me buy at Rough Trade recently. I mean, I rediscovered the band The Rosebuds. They're incredible. But what was, what was the... Let me see. What was the... Let me find... A band called S. Haters are great. S. Haters. I think Baz is a reissue. Where's that Deirdre chick? This one I want to recommend highly if I could find it. Oh, I'm never going to find it. That's my problem. I'm too inundated with stuff. Yeah, I'm too inundated. Um, that would be an actually a good blog for me. Just Mike's new music. You know sure. what I mean? Because it's thin on the ground, for sure. Contemporary. It's not that 
I'm not open to it. It's just I'm still hunting for all these great records that Hurricane Sandy stole from me. Hmm. I don't need to replace them all, just some of them. Right. But but um, why can you think of a band, contemporary band you love? You know, I there are some stuff. There is there's some newer stuff that I like, like Idols. I like a lot. Um, that's I D L E S. Uh, their last two records have been brilliant, and their live performances have been really just uh, revelatory. Um, but they're already almost getting too big for my taste. Like the first time I saw them, I saw them in a really tiny venue, and it was amazing. And then afterwards, the singer of the band came up and introduced himself to me for i don't know why but i thought that was pretty cool and then the next time i saw a much bigger venue i was way back because i couldn't get anywhere close to them and a lot of uh, people that i wouldn't have expected to like a band that i liked um were there and you know definitely and like moshing and stuff and i thought like well geez hasn't that didn't die out like 25 years ago um but yeah there there is good music out there but you know i i've been debating this question of the whether this decade and as we record this is 2019 has produced one like amazing classic band that in 20 years time people are still going to be talking about and it may be maybe idols but I don't. I can't think of anybody else. Whereas, like, I feel like the Naughties, uh, the you know, two thousand yeah, to two thousand ten. Some of the my favorite music, some of the best music yeah. of all time, was made. Um, I was, and what are your feelings on that? Do you feel the same way? Or no, I do feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, the, I remember Jack and Mick from Big Takeover telling me a band called All They spelled A oh yeah I've heard of them yep female fronted mm -hmm. I went and saw them they were good right but they didn't it wasn't there, like going to see the heartthrobs or you there's know there's a lot of good yeah but nothing to my mind that's really no pushed beyond that to be like yeah this is great this is mind blowing what they say is it 12 or 23 total chords you have to mess with total and it's just how you manipulate. I just think we've heard. I don't know because I'm not. A, I don't sure. play guitar. I'm just saying. How many times have you heard this gorgeous intro to a song, and you're like, "This sounds exactly like the intro." To oh yeah. Right. Yeah. There's only so many permutations of these sure. things. But. And to be fair, we're getting older. You know, so yeah. it's it's natural to have nostalgic feelings towards I'm just trying to you know stuff like... that we've loved, but you know I really <sighs> try hard to be open to new music. Me too. Um, Me too, man. And I just I find like a lot of it. Yeah, I, it's, it's let downtown. Is let downtown. It's let downtown. Yeah, but the thing is. A, a lot of bands that came before this decade are still putting out amazing stuff now. Yes. So that's how I, I can compare it and feel like I'm not entirely prejudiced um, towards new music is that new music is coming out that I love, but most of it is coming from artists that formed, you know, in the last 50 years and not in this decade. And I don't know what it is about this decade. I'm wondering 
if there's something bigger to that is it the add caused by you know social media is it yes you're right that's part of it that's absolutely is it you know uh, people growing up um with their phones, you know, and uh, notifications, you know, taking their attention away from everything every, you know, 15 seconds. Um, I, I love this fragment. Or am I just full of shit? No, you're not full of shit. No, you're not. And so what if we're getting old? It's just like, I mean, Jack's cheek still keeps his finger on the pulse within his, you know, top 40 reviews and other reviews. I'm just trying to think. This band is called Free Love. This record is amazing. And I'm trying to just... Is it a reissue or did it come out when... Uh, Luxury Hits by Free Love. This is gorgeous. Um, and again, I don't buy records. I just at once a month go into Rough Trade and mm -hmm. they're like, here you go. We put these aside for you. So yeah, something like this was a surprise. But that V-A-Z-Z -Z record, that Vaz, I'm pretty sure that's a... 80s post-punk reissue it's not contemporary and then you know you have labels like captured tracks that okay will put out bands like dive um pretty d-i-i-v um what's the one oh my god craft spells yeah they have a song called changing faces that i think is painfully beautiful but the album is nausea rest of the album eh um, there are moments across his records. And I think they, he, they formed last decade. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, the, look, I'm also going by what a staff of eight or nine people that I know tell me at Rough Trade. Mm -hmm. They're like, new stuff, once in a blue moon. But the reissues are what really sell you know like now they're reissuing cramps records and i didn't realize just how good scent of female was the record mm -hmm. i bought it i was never really a cramps fan but it's great shit you know what i'm saying and um so i don't know like here we're, okay for example i was told this was amazing uh this artist uh what's his name thompson chris p it's 8-bit music which sounds like, you know, retro video game music. Right. However, the opening song on this record, I played it for Josh, and then we listened to the rest of the record. The opening song, he said, how limited is this? Where can I get this? He's like, this is the kind of music I live for. The opening song is like a female-led, very 80s-sounding, uh, baleric, mixed with weird horns, post-punky, funk kind of sound. And then, when the rest of the record played, he said, wait a minute, let's listen to it all, and then let's listen to the EP. And he was like, no, don't want it. If, if, if there's only one good song on there. Right. And I agreed. And I agreed. I mean, artistically, they're beautiful, these records. Lot Hero by Thompson Chris P. And Everything Imaginable Comes True. Hmm. So this one's from 2017. And I guess, you know, look, the record was dipped in blue paint up to here. That's, and that's actual real blue paint. They look great. They look interesting. And I was told by the, the, the guy across the street, the record grouch, you need these. No, I don't. I absolutely abhorred these records, save for the opening track. So this is 
another reason why I'm skeptical when it comes to new music. Mm-hmm. I did hear a record recently by an artist called uh, G.S. G.F. Shrey. Um, First Appearance is the name of the record. It sounds like Drudy Column sands the guitars. So it has that same beautiful... Again, you don't have those arpeggiated strings, but you have... It sounds like a great indie movie soundtrack. And there's some floaty female vocals. The kid's like about 16 from Akron, Ohio. Eh, Nice surprise. That's a great record. Mm -hmm. But what is it? It's more of an ambient, it, it's more of an imaginary soundtrack. So, you know, I mean, I love every genre, Eric. I just can't, look, I can't start collecting deep dub. Sure. Too expensive, <laughs> and there's so much treasure. Oh, no, I there. hear you, yeah. I have to stick with my mostly white record collection. <laughs> and white labels. Well, but you know what I mean. It's like, you know, I'm looking at that lush box set, and like, of course, 4AD, the great band. Again, popular as hell right now. That was like Record Store Day exclusive. Sold out like boom in a flash. Slow Dive. I saw them play to five people at Maxwell's in the 90s. And then I saw them play to 3,000 people like sure. six months ago. So. All right. Well, I, I think um, we're running out of time a little bit here. But um, uh, let, me, uh, let me ask you this as the, the podcast goes on here. Um, just if you could talk to any musician, uh, probably, you know, not somebody that, you know, um, because luckily (laughs) most of them have agreed to already do the podcast, but if there's somebody that you've always been curious that you'd love to interview or have on the show here, uh, who would it be? It's never going to happen unless Talitra's. Unless, unless something, they agree to do something with me to get him here. My first pick would be Peter Milton Walsh of The Apartments. Uh, John Hughes. Australian Houston, band. Yeah. yeah, Brisbane guy. Uh, he, he made an album after his son died that's just devoted to that topic, which is, I wouldn't recommend it to any parents, but to every other music lover, it's essential. Yeah. Um, I would want him first, and then I probably would want Matt Johnson of the, the second. Those would be my top two picks. Yep, absolutely. Good, good choices. Well, for me, it, it's all their poetry. It's also their music, but mm-hmm. it's... And you know what? Yeah, no, you said people I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Absolutely. Because, I, like I said, the people you do know, a lot of them have been kind enough to agree to be on the podcast. We'll see if anybody falls through, but uh, fingers crossed here. But uh, for me, I think it would probably be Mark Cullen from Pony Club. Oh, good pick. Who, yeah. What a pick. Yeah, I just, I'm such a fan of his lyrics and his songs so and stuff. Mark. and. And again, I want to know that inside story of why this this record has not come out that uh, was ready to go like a year ago or so. Um, I just want to know one thing. I would say, Mark, what are you so angry for? <laughs> He's got a great song called What Are You Angry For? Um, yeah. Anybody out there that doesn't know Pony Club, please, for the love of goodness, Go start with look them up and then listen to post. Yeah, and put if you're trying to search them in Google, put Pony Club and then Mark Cullen. Don't just put Pony Club because 
you know, pony club is a, a thing where, you know, kids have horses. And Depending <laughs> on the trifecta, it's going to be the long shot. It's one of those names that are tough to Google. Like one of our other favorite uh, Dublin bands, A House. Very tough to Google. <laughs> You can't Google the, the without Matt Johnson. Yeah, and same thing with the the. You know, so many of these bands that we love kind of shot themselves in the foot pre-internet days um, with names that uh, are very tough to search. But uh, I'm going to assume that our listeners are savvy enough to figure that stuff out. Um, I know we have. <laughs> But uh, any closing thoughts you want to leave us with uh, about music or just about life in general? No. Um, Well, I mean... I'm getting a little closer to the mic as you do this. I'm amazed that music goes on in spite. No matter what happens, you always have music. And if you love music, I know the way you do and and the way I do. Uh... It's, it's a great reason to never give up hope. It's one of the best things we have. And there's no reason you shouldn't drown in it every day. And yes, listen to MP3s, for, for goodness sake. Listen to every convenient format. But if you can get a you know, reasonable record, you know, turntable, and you can get a good one now that's not a fortune, some of your absolute favorite records you should have on the, what I call the Frisbee Noir because they do sound... Well, you make up your own mind. But but never... You know, music... No, music will not save us, but music definitely will help us. That's as good a place of, as any to leave it. Uh, I want to thank you again for being the first guest on the show and all your help in uh, booking some of the guests that we've got coming up on the show. All right, that was the first edition of Hidden in Plain Sight. I'm Eric Ryder. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and do stay with us. Please subscribe. Again, a very special interview with Rollo McGinty, the singer and songwriter behind the phenomenal band The Wooden Tops, is coming your way soon here uh, so be sure and, like I say, subscribe if you like the podcast, positive reviews are very much appreciated on uh, the podcast platforms. We do have an email address. It is hidden in plain sight podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Again, hidden in plain sight podcast at gmail.com. We're also on the interwebs, on the Facebook, on the Twitter. So please uh, give us a like or a follow. Okay. So that's it for this edition. Hope you enjoyed it once again, and we'll talk to you again soon.